morning, everyone. Great to see you. Thank you for not bailing out on seeing those incredible clouds that were rolling over the low country area this morning. Glad you're here, and you'll be glad you're here as well. It's going to be a great time together. I've asked Chris to come on up. Chris is a representative, as well as being an elder of Crosstown, of Remember Ministries that operates out of Charleston. We've got an opportunity to get involved. I mean, to really get involved. Now, let me just preface this. At Crosstown, we don't talk a lot about money. We understand the biblical principles of tithing and how that all operates. But when we see a specific need that needs the flexing of our influence, we like to delve and dive into that with all of our hearts. And we'd like to welcome you to be a part of that as well. We believe today that we have one of those opportunities where the strength of all of us can provide for the need of others. Chris, why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Sure. So as many of you may know, and if you're new here and you don't know, Remember Those is a mission organization made up of about seven or eight denominations within Charleston, different churches that all come together and are the hands and feet across the world. And so our mission is to get involved with the persecuted church anywhere in the world where people are being persecuted for their faith. And so that may mean coming alongside of families uh, of deceased martyrs. Uh, that might be coming alongside pastors who are operating in uh, countries where there's still persecution going on. And so that's the history of the organization. About a year ago, as you may remember, the U.S. troops pulled out of Afghanistan and what was resultant after that was kind of a, you know, the coup the Taliban took back over. And across the entire country, anybody who was associated with churches or evangelism began uh, being persecuted more heavily than they were before. And so I, we have some operatives in Afghanistan at the time. Most of them got out under the guidance of one of our pastors who was over there, Pastor Fareed, and he stayed until all of our people got out of Afghanistan and then tried to get his family out and himself. And that led to about a two-month ordeal of trying to smuggle him across the border in Afghanistan. Well, finally, we got him out. He went to the UAE, and he's been there for the last 10 months trying to get refugee status in the U.S., Finally, happy to say, uh, he's got that status and he will be coming here next month. Yeah, that's great. Now, now that's a big deal. And there's a collaborative work that's going on in his life to help establish him here in the Charleston area. And we've decided to be a part of that, that work. Correct. So remembers come along him, obviously, to bring him back here. We're sponsoring him in the States and kind of sponsor his refugee status. And so when you do that, you, you agree to provide housing, furnishings, a job, you know, things like that for them when they come. And so we've done that. And so what we're asking Crosstown to do is to come alongside this pastor who is truly a hero in our faith and to provide a vehicle. So we've got other churches coming along. One is, uh, you know, come alongside to give them housing. Another's come alongside to, to do the furnishings. Another connection is coming alongside to give him a job and things like that and provide for his family. Uh, and then we've agreed to try to come along and, and provide a vehicle. There's, okay. There's another vehicle that's being provided by another church. Okay, so we're going to provide a vehicle. So let me just put it right out there. Um, I know vehicles. I'm a car guy. <laughs> and I know that you cannot buy a reliable minivan for a family for under $25,000. So we're going to raise $25,000, and, uh, well, clapping's nice. Uh, there's another way to respond to this. There's another way to get involved, and we're going to buy them a vehicle. Now, uh, we are blessed to have some automotive dealers in the congregation, as well as some of you. We are shopping particularly for a Toyota or Honda uh, vehicle. If you happen to have a 2016 or younger minivan that you're no longer using, we'd like to talk to you. We would like to buy that vehicle from you. If you are somebody that works in the automotive industry and selling vehicles, we would like to speak to you as well. If you're not neither of those, you have a great opportunity to contribute to help us put this family in a minivan and to experience the blessing that they have blessed other people with for all these years. The way that you give across town is you can download our app and you can give directly via there, or you can go to our kiosk in the back, 
or you can also write a check and stick it into one of the boxes that are in the, around the auditorium. So if one of those ways is not convenient for you, you can personally come up and talk to me. If you've got, uh, you've got holdings in a Cayman uh, account <laughs> offshore and you need to transfer it over, we'll make that happen for you. If, Matter if, of, if we can get a pastor out of Afghanistan, we can get your money into the U.S. <laughs> that's right, that's right. So I just want to, this is, this is real. This is something... Crosstown will not keep any of this money. It will all go to helping this family, and uh, we want to be a part of that. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, thanks. so much, Chris. Yeah, that's, that, that's good stuff right there. Well, today we're continuing our Plotline uh, series that we've been talking about, and the reason why we've been talking about Plotline is because we've kind of messed it up in our heads or... You know, I, I, I kind of, sometimes I'll hear people talk about, well, the church has ruined people, uh, or Christianity has, you know, fought wars and all this other stuff. And, and you know, I'm not, I'm not, I don't really believe the plot line of God has, has hurt anybody. I, maybe the, the uh, hijacking of the story of God, the story of Christ, has injured people. But not the true story. The real plot line of God has always been about redeeming and restoring lives. So today we're going to be doing a little science right up front. And everybody's back in school, so we're going to refresh a little bit about science. I really should have probably left Chris up here because he could have talked about this better than I can. But we're going to be talking about heavenly creatures today. We're going to be delving into that realm. And that's kind of a, kind of a cool uh, stranger's thing kind of thing to go with. And, um, but before we get into it, I want to talk about taxonomy. Taxonomy is the scientific classification of living things. You probably remember this when you were in school. Um, and and it's, it's through the observation of living things, you have the ability to begin to classify them, put them into different groups so that we can understand them better. And then we go from that, we break them down into different categories like kingdom, phylum, class, order, uh, family, genus, and species. And I, I know you're all remembering this from eighth grade biology. That, but that's what we do is we, we begin to classify things. And then when we get into the kingdom of things, we divide those kingdoms up into plants and animals and eubacteria and protists and uh, fungi and um, Archaea and all these different categories, these kingdoms that we break these living things into. Absolutely amazing when you take a look at all of it. Everything, even your pet dog, finds its way into the world of taxonomy. Everything is involved in that. And I think most of us here would agree in this science. I think most of us here, I don't think there's an anti taxonomic movement in the United States, though we have so many movements, I don't know if we have one of those, but, but I don't think, I think most of us here would relax and agree that, yes, this is probably a very true scientific uh, observable way to classify nature. And the reason why I even bring any of this to the table when talking about heavenly creatures is because I want to show the reasonableness of it that it's okay to break up these different creatures into classifications, and that we do this already, that um, we have a precedence in nature, that there are different levels and classifications and families and genuses and kingdoms, and we've already observed this. And it's very important to me as a, a rational person that, that when a proposition is presented to me spiritually, that God has given us the natural world to establish some sort of precedence. If you ask me to believe in something that's totally like, yeah, that's totally bonkers, I, you know, I get that. It's kind of hard to swallow when you're presented a spiritual idea that doesn't have any natural precedence. But what we're beginning to see here is that there is a pre precedence that there are classifications of different creatures throughout nature. We also have a methodology established on how to do that. So when I look at it this way, and this is how I always approach my understanding of God, is that if I experience something in nature, then I cannot claim it is irrational when I find it in theology. 
Because a lot of people will be like, well, I believe in science. And I'm like, well, I believe in science too. Well, I believe it, you know. It's like, well, what I'm saying is, is that the theology of what we're going to learn today does not violate. It may extend the science beyond what you thought it, it went to, but it's not irrational. It's not unthinking. It's not dumb. And so we, we're going to use taxonomy to show that there are classifications. There are different organiza- uh, organisms and life and life forms that we observe, some that we don't observe. Some of the two of the, no, three of the ones that I mentioned that you are personally not observing at this particular moment, but we don't, we don't question the reality of you bacteria at all. But yet we are, we are surrounded with it. And some of us got a little bit more bacteria than others, but, but we, we realize that there is this reality. And so I wanted to establish that it is not irrational for us to think about these things. So as we jump into heavenly creatures, There's nothing irrational to think that the spiritual world is not also organized by the same creator with structure. You know, that there are these different beings. And also, there's no reason for us to believe, even in science, there's no reason to believe that we are at the top of the ladder. I know that's kind of like how we we talk about it, but I think science has begun to show that even among mammals, uh, we got some competitors out there. Those little dolphins, you know, I mean, they're kind of impressive, you know. Uh, I'm glad they can't get out of the water because I'd probably lose my job. But there's, we're getting to find out that there are other impressive creatures out there. But for some reason, we thought that we were the top of the ladder. Maybe we're the top of the food chain if we're rating everything based upon what eats other things. But when we begin to look at it, we're gonna find in scripture that we are not at the top of the the order and that there are other things that are out there. And also what we're gonna learn today that we need to realize that just possibly that us and God are not the only influencing creatures in the universe. Let's watch. For most of human history, people have believed in some kind of spiritual realm that exists alongside the world as we know it. Right, and the biblical authors are no exception. Yeah, for them, the spiritual realm is a different kind of realm than ours. And to highlight that difference, the Bible refers to God's space as the sky or the heavens. Because the sky is really different from the land. It's above and beyond. And up there are shiny bodies that move around. I think of these as flaming gas balls. But when the biblical authors looked up, the stars gave them a way to talk and think about spiritual beings. In the Bible, they're called the sons of God, or the rulers and authorities, or even sometimes the divine council. But apparently, the God of the Bible wants to share authority with others. Oh, right. God shares his rule with human partners on earth. And so, in the same way, there's a parallel story of God sharing his authority to rule with spiritual partners. Yes, that is, until it all falls apart in a twin rebellion. So you have humans who want to rule on earth on their own terms. So they start building their own nation using their own definitions of good and evil. Yeah, the famous story of the building of Babylon. But check this out. When biblical authors like Moses or Isaiah looked back at the origins of Babylon, they saw more than just a human rebellion, but also a spiritual rebellion. What was this spiritual rebellion? Well, there were members of the divine council who, like the humans, didn't want to represent God's authority anymore. They wanted to be God and they rebelled. And so these created beings deceived humans into worshiping them instead of the creator. And so Babylon becomes the biblical image for the combined human and spiritual rebellion. And so God scatters the people from Babylon into different nations. And in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses says, this is when God also scattered the rebels of the divine council with them. So the nations are handed over to spiritual rulers. Yes, and this is why when the biblical prophets look out at the violent empires of their day, they see two dimensions to all the chaos and injustice. Human rebels who are being corrupted by the worship of spiritual rebels, the idol gods of money, sex, and military power. Yeah, when humans give their allegiance to these powers, it leads to a world like ours. Right, and the best example of this is the story of the Exodus, where we're told that the Egyptian genocide 
of the Israelites was inspired by Pharaoh and by the gods of Egypt. That's really intense. But it's not the end of the story. When God rescued the Israelites from Egypt and its gods, he invited them to become his covenant partners and learn a different way of ruling the world. And they agree to it, but in the end, they don't honor the partnership. They give their allegiance to other gods. And so this leads to their exile in Babylon, where they become slaves once again to a foreign nation and their spiritual rulers, awaiting a new exodus into freedom. And this is where the story of Jesus picks up. He said he was here to rescue the world and take it back from the rebels. Which rebels, the human ones or the spiritual ones? Exactly. For Jesus, it was all connected. When he marched into Jerusalem for Passover, he was announcing the ultimate exodus. He was there to confront and overcome all rebel powers and authorities, and he did it by giving up his life. So this is what the Apostle Paul meant when he said that Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities, triumphing over them by the cross. Yes, Jesus condemned our evil by allowing the rebels to unleash all their hate and evil on him. But then he overcame it with the power of his love and resurrection life. And then Jesus told his followers that all authority in heaven and earth now belongs to him. Yeah, the ultimate human and divine partner. This is really good news. Yeah, and it's why the apostles started inviting everyone to give their allegiance to the risen Jesus, to discover freedom and a new way to be human. Now, while Jesus gained a decisive victory over the rebel powers, he didn't destroy them. They're still around causing problems. Yes, and in fact, they are the problem. The apostles said that humanity's real enemy is never another human. Rather, it's the spiritual powers that animate our cultural idols that inspire hatred, division, and violence. Ah, so when I see people hurting other people, behind it is the divine counsel gone rogue. How do you deal with this kind of enemy? Well, the Apostle Paul said we can resist by putting on the character traits of Jesus like armor, faithfulness, justice, and peace. And he said that our only weapon is the word of God. That is, the biblical story of good news that Jesus has overcome all rebels with the divine power of his life and love. What an incredible presentation of this. And the big takeaway is that there's something more going on than most of us realize. And, and I know some of you wanna just say, uh, you know, I, I don't get into that part of Christianity. It's kind of like what I was, um, I'm from the Boston area, so we never had sharks in the water up in Boston, or at least until lately, or until the movie Jaws came out. And, and, but now, down, since I'm in Charleston, whenever the water gets over the temperature of about 85 degrees on Folly Beach, I'm not going in there. It's like, well, yeah, but, you know, have you ever seen a shark? Have you ever been bit by a shark? And, you know, I've said it like that for the Boston people. You know, have you ever been bit? It's like, no, but I have an awareness that there's something there. There's enough biting going on. There are enough fins sticking out of the water that it becomes something that I'm aware of. And even though I may swim, it may be something, some wisdom that I take into account. And so we need to realize that when we import the idea of God, you import all the ideas that come with God. You don't just get to pick a certain part of the story and say this other part of the story, I don't like that. But rather, it's only wisdom that leads us to realize that there are other things going on than just us and just God. Our little classifications of uh, taxonomy need to be extended to include everything created, not just the things that are below us, not just the things that we are on top of, but there is so much more involved with what's going on in life. So today we're not going to delve into each of these heavenly creatures, but rather I think it's, I think it's probably wiser for us to focus on the one that is the hardest to figure out in taxonomy. Um, there is a lot of theology about the origin of the devil, about where he came from. I would have to admit that most theological perspectives on the origin of the devil are more mythological than they are biblical. We don't have a lot of information on this. 
but people seem to get preoccupied with it and they begin pulling verses together to try to fabricate something. But the one that is really harder for us, but yet more important for us to try to rack our brains on is the one who is outside of creation, but within creation, but yet is called the creator. I mean, that's, that's some serious taxonomy at work there. So wait a minute, you're part of this kingdom, but you're part of this kingdom, you're part of this class, but a part of this genius, but then you're also outside of it all. He's the one that is beyond the list, the one that's on the list, but yet also the one who created the list. See, of all the different spiritual creatures that we could focus on, I know a lot of you may be into angels. And a lot of people, if you look at Instagram, are really into angels. I mean, people who will buy into Christianity and really buy into more into angels than they buy into Jesus. And, and I think there's something about it. There's something fascinating about angels. Everybody's got an angel. Everybody wants to, you know, focus on angels. But we want to learn about something greater than the angels. I know we could focus on the demonic and focus on the occult and focus on Ouija boards and voodoo and all the different things out there. But we're going to find that today it, it, it's more prudent for us to focus on taxonomy, but to focus on a different person in the midst of all this uh, taxonomy. So I'm gonna be using a story that comes to us out of the gospels of Luke and Mark. These two accounts are almost identical. Um, I'm going to use some of the descriptive words that come out of the Gospel of Mark, um, but we're going to use the story out of Luke as a basis, okay? So, if, and the reason why I tell you this, if you're tracking in the scriptures with me, you may hear me reference a word that you don't see in the story of Luke. I'm grabbing that word out of the, the account and description out of Mark, but they are exactly the same story. We've given you the references so that you can check on them uh, later on today. But I, we're going to be learning about the spiritual realm, but yet we're going to focus on it the right way. So let's jump into the story out of Luke. And Jesus came down to Capernaum a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were amazed at his teaching, for his message was with authority. Now, I just want to stop real quick. The phrase is, he came down to Capernaum. Now, I realize that from a writer's standpoint, that this is the writer's description of the character's movement relative to the, to the, um, the writer's vantage point. That if he's in the south, he's saying he's coming down to. But he uses this idea of coming down to, meaning that this is where I am. Jesus is now coming down into this particular area. See, this is showing Jesus moving uh, geographically. That Jesus is moving around, that he's coming down into this particular area. This is just like when Jesus comes from heaven to earth in the virgin birth, what we call Christmas. That is a geographical relocation going on. You're like, wait a minute, heaven and earth? I'm just like, yes, that's what it is. He's, he's moving from a place that we, we, are, we do not observe to a place that we all live in. And when we're being told that he's coming down to Capernaum, we are being told that Jesus moves. And, and that he moves from heavenly spaces into earthly spaces. And the reason why this inspires me is because my life is the kind of life that you have to go down into. I got so much crap in my life, so much difficulty in my life, so many challenges, so many bad habits in my life. You know, I cannot ascend up to heaven. I cannot earn God. I cannot perform all the sacraments and all the rituals of religion and ascend into the heavens and find a place seated next to God. I need something of God to come down to Capernaum, to come down to me right where I am. And maybe from your vantage point, you need Jesus to move geographically. You need Jesus to come down into your life. And here's the thing. 
There is no place so down that Jesus can't go. You are not so down that Jesus can't get there. I don't care who your parents were or your lack of knowledge of your parents. I don't care what your situation in life, your, your mistakes in life, your addictions in life, your challenges in life, but there is no place that Jesus cannot come down to. And what we're seeing is Jesus freely, unobstructedly moving geographically in the area of Judea, and he's demonstrating his ability to move in spaces that he comes from heaven to earth. He's violating rules of taxonomy. It's kind of like keep the bears over there, keep the lions over there, keep the ducks over there, keep the chickens over there. But Jesus is not observing rules of, of taxonomy. Just like when he walks on water, he doesn't obey the rules of gravity. He's showing his power over all things. He's showing that he's willing to move into whatever space you're living in right now. And I don't know about you, I got a space right here between my ears. I got a space right here in my, in my chest that I need Jesus to move into. And that Jesus is willing to go down into any space. So if you think you're beyond reach, we are dealing with the spiritual being, I can't call him creature, because that would imply he was created. We are dealing with a spiritual being who moves freely among all things and is not afraid to go down into anyone's life. The story continues. So it goes down to Capernaum. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, let us alone. What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now this is absolutely loaded with insight. I mean, this is just loaded with stuff. It's absolutely incredible about what this tells us about Jesus, what it tells us about the spiritual realm, what it tells us about us. The first thing is this. The story is in a holy space and time, but there is a creature moving in it that shouldn't be there. We're in a synagogue. That's supposed to be like church, right? I mean, isn't that, don't we expect like, well, I mean, some of you may be living in some mythology that, well, when we come into church, when we come into this building, there's nothing else but God here. I'd like to think so, I, but I don't think so. We find that they're in the synagogue and, and uh, there is this, this holy place has now got this unholy influence of evil in it. But we're also told about another space where this creature is not supposed to be inside a man, inside a human being. See, we have other creatures that are violating taxonomy, that are not staying in their place. And a place that was supposed to be the image of God, a person who is supposed to be endowed with the very spirit of God, we find in that place, in a holy place, we find this influence of evil. But it doesn't stop there we're told that this creature speaks out when? When Jesus is teaching. See, we would think, well, if the teaching's good, there can't be any demonic. Or we think, well, if the pastor is good, there can't be any demonic. Well, if we think that the preacher and the teacher and all that are perfect and the son of the living God, there can't be any demonic. There's no way there could be any demonic. And here we are the best teaching in the world, by the best person in the world, in the holy place in the world. And there we have the influence of evil. So what does that tell me? It tells me that hell can work in the most precious things in your life. It tells me that your holy marriage 
can have hell moving right through it. It tells me that in your parenting, as pure as a, a goal as that is for every mom and dad, it's like, you know, if you're like me, it's like, yeah, I could screw up my marriage, but I'm not gonna screw up my kids. I think, I think most parents feel that way. It's not probably correct, but it, it's how we feel. We feel like that's at the very core of what we are. We may not be good at business. We may not be good at school. We may not be good at marriage, but my kids. And we're told that, that, that evil will move into the most sacred of spaces. So I'm gonna ask you, what does your family look like right now? Well, we're committed to each other. Well, that's sin God was committed. Well, we got a Bible on our coffee table. Yeah, I think they had a few scrolls in the synagogue. Well, we go to a church with good teaching. Yeah, well, they had good teaching in that synagogue too. Well, we have a really cool pastor. I'm just assuming you would say that. It's like, well, they had a really cool teacher also. And right in the middle of it is evil doing its work. What about your business? Is evil firmly planted there? How about your mind? We're finding in this one story, there's no space. This, this, this creature is not capable of moving in. That's sobering. And it's so sobering to me. Are you letting something else affect your life? It's not just your husband. It's not just your wife. It's not just the kids that set you off. It's not just the people you work with. It's not just the white people. It's not just the black people. It's not just the Republicans. It's not just the Democrats. Man, it'd be easy if it was. But no, there is a power of evil that is animating. I love that word that was used in the video that is animating the worst part of us poking us, you know, tweaking us, unnerving us, terrifying us against what? Each other. So evaluate your life. How do you let evil into what is supposed to be a holy space and time? And don't think just because you go to church that that keeps you from, from being disrupted by evil. Paul puts out in Ephesians 4, starting in verse 25, he talks about how we allow evil to have influence in us. And, and again, he will talk about moral things, he will talk about ethical things. But don't you reduce Christianity to just morals and ethics. Yes, it's part of the taxonomy of the Christian faith. Philosophy, ethics, morals, reason, all those things are, are stacked up in, in this thing called faith. But there are also some of those things that are connected to spiritual creatures. And Paul says it in Ephesians, he said, therefore lay aside all falsehood, speak truth to each one of you with his neighbor for you are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. It's like, what? Why'd you just throw that in there? I mean, let's just keep this as, you know, uh, I do this and I don't do that kind of Christianity. It's like, no, 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 because every one of these are portals for allowing influences in the taxonomy of creation to move into your life. When this church flooded the first time in 2015, which we are about to sell, we should have a party. We should, we should have a party because every time we have a party, it floods that day. It, it actually happened. We flooded in 2015 and we had a party the next, the next year. We were about to celebrate. It flooded that day again. So let's have another party. But here's the thing is that when the flood came for two days afterwards, I remember coming in as the water receded inside the sanctuary, there were fish and snakes and dead rats in this building. I'm sorry. Yes, dead rats. They were all in here. And what Paul is saying is when you allow a flood of bad human behavior to happen in your life, don't be surprised what else ends up inside of your house. 
He goes on and he says, he who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word that is good for edification according to the need of the moment. That's what's supposed to be filling our spaces so that it will give grace to those who hear. And now he's talking about another entity being affected by our behavior. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. It's like some behavior welcomes one entity into your family, into your life, into your culture. Another kind of behavior begins to grieve, constrict, uh, and push out the influence of the very one you want in your life. I'm telling you what, it, see, this isn't, when you begin to think about this, and I'm just kind of thinking about it for myself, it's like, well, we, we used to make a list of, of what TV shows Christians don't watch. And I was raised Catholic, so up in the Boston area, they used to have put out a newspaper every month. It was called the, the, the Monthly Pilot. And it would have all the movies ranked um, and it was really funny because in the back, it wouldn't be rated R, X, P, G, or whatever. It was rated venial sin, mortal sin, three Hail Marys and two Our Fathers type of sins. And it had classifications on these. Now, I, don't worry, you Baptist people do the same thing. You come up with your own little list. But this isn't about whether it's Netflix or Disney or whether it's not, it's R-rated. It's, it can be anything that you decide that you're going to let something into your life that shouldn't be there. I could probably watch a show that doesn't let something into my life that maybe you would watch and you would let something into your life. I'd like to pick the show that none of us should watch. Uh, no, I'm not going to go that way. No, I hate doing that. But, but it makes me begin to think that, okay, this isn't just about whether or not I'm supposed to, as a Christian, do this. It's the question of, am I inviting other influences or am I pushing out the best influences in my life? Paul goes on and says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. It's like, yeah, if you don't think that's having a spiritual effect, you're missing it. If you think that the way that, that we talk to each other on Facebook or, or it's kind of, why is all kinds of hell happening politically? It's because we have allowed all these things that Paul said for us not to do, we've all decided we'll do them. And, and, we're, and we're doing all clamoring and malice and, and saying all kinds of things and it's just getting more evil. It's just getting worse because we basically have opened up uh, the zoo and allowed all the animals to run free. They don't have to stay in their place any longer. And every form of darkness is moving into areas that we allow in our lives. But here, let's move beyond. You, this can happen to a marriage. When you start talking about each other, when you start, you know, the way that we just get vile with each other in our conversations. You know, um, I had a guy the other day text me. He's like, he's like, yeah, man, I can't talk right now. I, my, my wife, you know, she's a real, you know, I, I won't tell you what he said, but you know, it's like, I'm like, oh man, goodness gracious. If you say that to me, can you imagine what he says at home? But we need to realize it's not just conversation. It's invitation. And what are you inviting to your supper table? But I want to look at the second thing that goes on in that story. Because he, he, the, the demon creature calls Jesus two things. Jesus of Nazareth and Holy One of God. I thought it was kind of interesting that he called them by two different titles. And just kind of staring at it a little bit, uh, the taxonomic language of earthly creatures would be to call him Jesus of Nazareth. If you're in taxonomy with the creature that's the same as you, you would use one sort of language. You would say he is Jesus of Nazareth, he is a man. 
but yet this creature is from two realms. It's in the earth, but yet it's also a spiritual creature. So it knows Jesus's taxonomic classification from it with a different way, the Holy One of God. We can learn from this. This is really important to learn from. See, we call Jesus a good man, a good teacher, but there is so much more going on with Jesus. It's not the Jesus that we talk about. I think we've gotten too laid back with Jesus. Taxonomically, we're all kind of like in love with Jesus you know, of Nazareth. Good guy, good teacher, good philosopher. And we classify him right in there with Buddha and Muhammad and, and, and whoever else. And he's kind of like one of, but according to this demonic creature, this is the Holy One of God. So when you talk about him taxonomically, are you referring to him only as an earthly creature or are you seeing him as he is? Everybody loves Jesus as long as you don't define him. As long as, hey, do you believe in Jesus? Yeah, I believe in Jesus. Okay, well, let's put a classification on him. Let's put him in a genus. Let's put him in a phylum. Let's put him in a kingdom. Let's put him in a domain. What is it? Um, God, Lord, Savior, Redeemer, King. Ooh. Yeah, that's not the dog at my house. I got little Jesus. I got, I got Jesus of Nazareth. You know, he's a nice Jesus. He just loves everybody. He wants you to be the best version of yourself. But this demon knows this is the Holy One of God. Have we forgotten that? Have we forgotten that he's the Holy One of God? The third big thing, and I know I'm running out of time. Ricky's over there ready to jump on the next song, but just give me just a second here. Third big thing came from the audit statement that the demon makes. Let us alone. What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? This phrase is used multiple times in all the gospels. What business do we have? You see, the demon is surprised that the Son of God, who is taxonomically classified as a heavenly inhabitant, is now willing to be taxonomically inhabiting an area that is significantly lower. He's like, what? What are you doing down here with these creatures, the broken ones, the rebellious ones, the human ones? It's almost like the demon is saying to Jesus, last time I saw you, you were sitting at the right hand of the majesty on high. What are you doing out here? You get kicked out? I wasn't expecting to see you here, is what the demon is saying. And just like the religious people of Jesus's time, eating and drinking with sinners and tax collectors, see the wrong type of taxonomy of people? And they said, he can't be the son of God if he's eating with those kinds of people. The demon is having the exact same reaction. It's like, what are you doing here? The demon also knew that if Jesus was in his space, it means that the status quo was about to change. The demon knew that if Jesus was in the space, the space was going to change. What business? This is going to screw up business for us. I want you to see this picture. This is a picture of a taxonomic invasion. This is in Johannesburg. This lion is not expected where it is. Wouldn't we all agree? I mean, if you're visiting and all of a sudden you see a lion walk down the middle of Broad Street, you would say, yeah, that's not supposed to be here. But I want you to notice something different about that picture. If you look closely, you notice that there's an automobile accident that has occurred. Why? Because when a lion walks down the street where it's not expected, the status quo, the, the status quo of, of, of movement in that space is changed. And when the lion of the tribe of Judah 
moves through your life, the status quo will be changed. And the demon knows that if Jesus is walking the streets of your life, the status quo of your messed up marriage is going to change. The status quo of your broken family could change. The status quo of what you are addicted with and what you're challenged with can change. Basically, he's saying, hey, Jesus, what business do we have with you? Go back to where you belong. Or Jesus, you're about to screw things up. Or Jesus, stay in your lane. Let us alone, don't interfere. Don't change the status quo. Let us do our thing. Please, Jesus, don't try and clean up the space, time, and man. But that's why Jesus moves in these spaces. If you're, I'm, I'm willing to bet that if your time, space, um, and you as a person, as a man or a woman, are unchanging, it is very possible, and I would be willing to dare, that you are not letting the lion of the tribe of Judah walk your streets. Say, well, do I have that ability? Jesus came and he performed a miracle in the Gethsemane, some, some area out, outside where he cast this demon, a, multi, a guy with all these demons, like seven of them, and it's like legion of demons. And so the demons are like, well, we gotta go someplace. I don't understand the taxonomy of it, but apparently they have to occupy a space. So they say, let us go into these pigs. So Jesus is like, okay, I know you're gonna go somewhere. I'd rather you go in the pigs. They go into the pigs. The pigs run down the field and run into the water and drown themselves. Wacko, right? I mean, I'm serious. That's a whacked out story. It's all taxonomy. What do the people do? They beg Jesus to leave. It's like, wait a minute, why? We don't want to deal with the devil. We don't want to deal with evil. Well, you know, it's okay. We'll have a crazy guy running around naked with chains and we're okay with that, but you just cost me some money and pig. You just, you just interrupted my life. And for a lot of us, we got to ask ourselves a question. We like Jesus when he's, you know, of the species of Canis uh, lupus or whatever that was, you know, when we have him as a dog here. But Jesus will not walk your streets as a dog. He will not walk your streets as a pet. He's already been classified as the savior of the world, the Lord, our God, our King, our Redeemer, who will come back to judge the living and the dead. You're like, I know. This is not the church I should have gone to today. I get it. But if I present you with a Jesus less than the science of theology presents you, I have lied to you. And Jesus is exactly who the devil thought he was. Is he who you thought he was? Because there's only one Jesus. And he's the Holy One of God. And when he walks your streets, things begin to change. See, evil wants you to maintain your status quo spiritual life. It wants your marriage just a little rocky. It wants your family just a little unfocused and a little not as cohesive. It wants your mind just a little stoned, just a little scared, just a little anxious. So let me ask you, are you willing to let Jesus mess up your life? Because if you will let him move in your streets, you will hear this. As Jesus was not satisfied with the status quo with this man, the scripture tells us, and Jesus rebuked him, saying, be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him to the ground in the midst of the people, he came out of him without doing him any harm. And amazement came upon them all and they began talking with one another saying, what is this message? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they came out. And the report about him was spreading into every locality 
in the surrounding district. They went from oppression and evil being the loudest voice in the synagogue to freedom, amazement, and hope spreading throughout the human taxonomic world. Let me just tell you, if you want freedom, amazement, and hope to spread through your part of the scientific classification of life, welcome Jesus into it. There is no down, so down, that he won't go. You think your life is so bad, your marriage is so done, your, mar your work is so bad, your career is so messed up, whatever it may be, There is no right political party. There's no right skin color. There is no right gender. The way it all gets fixed is when the line of the tribe of Judah walks the streets of our hearts and our lives. When we put away all malice and envy and jealousy and wickedness and hatred and anger, we stop grieving the Holy Spirit of God we begin to seek his presence for our lives. When we, okay, and God worked a miracle in the resurrection because we were born of the flesh, but then we were born of the spirit. We were given a new taxonomy. We are no longer just flesh and blood. We are no longer just male, female, white, black, rich, poor, American, whatever. We are now seated at the right hand of God. We are new creations in Christ. Our taxonomy has changed. No longer should we be looking for common ancestry in the ape when we can find new life in the Son of God. Stop observing one another based upon the taxonomy of the earth. Start, start observing one another with the taxonomy of the eyes of heaven. We were all created in the image of God. And if we will walk in the spirit as he is the life given to us, we will walk in a new creation. But we're not alone. We must resist the devil and draw near to God because he has drawn near to us. Father, as we come into this sacrament moment, this sacramental moment, God, I would like to think that no evil could be here. But even Jesus, even Judas sat at the table of Christ. Even the devil entered into Judas at communion time. Because Judas decided not to resist the devil because we are told greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world we are told resist the devil and he will flee from you and today God it doesn't just happen because we take a piece of bread and we drink of a cup it happens because we draw near to God because the gates of hell cannot prevail against your people Lord today as we get up and we come forward we are declaring not only to our neighbor to our 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 partner to our friends to our uh the people around us we are declaring to every spiritual creature that i am a daughter i am a son i am a child of the living god and as for me in my space and time i will serve the lord let me invite you to make that declaration today.